I believe that was Anna. Thank you. If you can never get anybody to talk back to you, Anna's always got your back. That's right. We love it. All right, how y'all guys doing? Good, good, man. It's, uh, it's good to see you. That's right, Anna, with you. Uh, it's good to see everybody this morning and so excited about things uh, and excited about what the last weekend has uh, brought to us. As uh, Matt mentioned last night, we had our 2020 talk, and um, it was just dope. It was, uh, it was really a good time, and uh, we learned from one another, which is what these things are all about. Uh, if healing is ever going to truly take place, it's going to take place by sitting and learning from one another, listening to one another's stories. And so thank you guys so much. Thank you again to our, our friends. My friend and brother, Pastor Sean Marshall, uh, from Community Covenant Church on the south side of Chicago, where Common and Kanye come from. Um, so really appreciative of, uh, of man, him bringing his team down and, um, and blessing us with the conversation uh, last night and that they've joined us today. Um, and I'm just excited today. It's excited uh, about this series. Um, so... Uh, to kind of let you know, let's give you a little bit of context. And so the video that you, uh, we just watched, um, we sent the message out. We said, hey, get every conversion story that you can get. But we didn't want them to be contrived. Normally in church settings, what we like to do is we like to make these clean, contrived versions of stories that are just like perfect and ideal. Uh, but when Christ touches our hearts, it's oftentimes not so beautiful, right? I mean, you know, oftentimes the places where he finds us, there's no music playing in the background. There are no angels that's shining from heaven. Sometimes he finds us right in the midst of our mess. And so rather than making this beautiful things, we said, hey, whenever you have a story, Pull out your cell phone, just hit record, and let's just share with the people the rawness of what God can do in your life. Uh, because sometimes we think that he can't do it for us because our situations don't look like the beautiful versions, the contrived, the planned versions of the stories that we do. So we're doing it unscripted. We just want to share. So if that's you, if you've got a story and you just want to do a selfie video, Man, pull that selfie stick out, record yourself, and send it to us so that we can be strengthened by one another's story. And so we're still needing more uh, for this series. The series is entitled Recall. Recall. And we called it that because, as Matt mentioned, we want to take some time over the next five weeks and remember what God has done in our lives. Now, there are some things that we need to forget, right? But I believe oftentimes as believers, those who have life through Christ, sometimes we don't spend enough time reflecting on God's goodness. Sometimes we forget through the busyness of life, we forget that God has been good. And sometimes just remembering in the midst of what you're experiencing today, just to reflect on the fact that God has been good, past tense gives you strength to make it through the present moment. Because you'll know, and, and, we, and we, we, we forget about things, because some of you all, you woke up this morning and you acted like you've always been this way. You act like you've always been educated. You act like you've always had, as the old folks said, two nickels to rub together. You act like you've always been the person that you are today until life hits, and then all of a sudden you're trying to figure out, like, what, 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 what's going on? Like, how come things aren't working out this way? Well, one of the ra reasons are, one of the solutions for that is to reflect on what God's been in your life and reflect where he's brought you from. I, I grew up in the old church, you know, old, old, old. Uh, I grew up Baptist costume. 
And uh, for about 15 minutes, 15 minutes, we used to clap and stomp our feet and sing a song that said, look where he's brought me from. Brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look where he's brought me from. Sometimes we just need to remember that I am not today the person that I've always been. And the only reason that I am anything that looks remotely good today is because of the goodness of Jesus Christ that has been present inside of my life. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of this truth that we have not always been woke. Sometimes, sometimes darkness was our story and Jesus woke us up and gave us a new life. This helps us personally, but it also helps us relationally, right? Because when I recognize that I have flaws, then my tendency to stare down my nose at other people, oh, that comes slim to none. Because when I recognize that I've been a mess, that my life has been messy, that I can't look at someone who I deem not to be on my level. I can't look at them any differently because I recognize, hey, either I was once just like you or you just can't see my stuff. So actually, we're, we're a lot alike. We're a lot alike, right? Right? Sometimes we need to pause. Christians should spend a lot of time in reflection, just thinking about the can you can you just pause for a moment and remember the fact that there was a time in your story where hell was about to be your home and Jesus revealed himself to you and you gave your life to him and because of that you will see life forevermore. Can you stop for a moment and remember that there was a time when you couldn't even go to sleep at night, but the peace of Jesus now rests on your heart. Man, and now, now things look a whole lot differently. I'm saying, listen, I know today has been great. I know that you feel good, but I'm telling you, there are times, man, when you need to pause for a moment and just to take a breath and remember, man, God has been good to us. And so before I get too far ahead of myself, if you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're just going to go through the first uh, four verses of that chapter. We're not even going to run entirely through uh, verse uh, 4, just the first few words of verse 4. And as a matter of fact, do, do me a favor, because I want you to reflect for a moment. Um, put your devices down. Put your Bibles away. This is what I want you to do. I want you to just... Look at me, and I want you to hear these words, and I want you to imagine that as the Apostle Paul was penning these words, the Holy Spirit was giving him revelation to speak directly to you. So no matter where you come from, no matter what's your story, these words are specifically for you. So listen, listen to what the Holy Spirit says to each and every one of us as for you. All of you, all of us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserve that. But listen to just the first few words of chapter 4. But because 
of God's great love for us. By nature, like the rest, we were deserving of wrath, but, my wife always says this, whenever you say but, you eliminate everything that you previously said. We were deserving of wrath, but because of God's great love for us. Man, I love that. We need to recall. In that, I want you to hear the past tense nature of what Paul is saying. He says, he says, you were dead. You used to live. You followed. All of us lived. We were. And I love the way, you know, we talk about diversity within our culture and our church. But, but I, love, I love when I think about this, how this is manifested just in the lives of all humanity. Because one of the things that we are discovering is that really diversity isn't so much all about the color of skin. It's about the individual. And so when I read scriptures, although sometimes we think of how it is manifested among different cultures and ethnicities, we also need to look at how it, uh, how it looks towards all of individuals. And so when I read this, I think about like there, there are two ways to come to mind on how this story, this scripture plays out in the lives of us. Can y'all give me a couple of minutes and then I'll get back to our scripture? There are two things. The first thing, the first thing, uh, when he says, you were dead, you used to live, you follow the past tense, one of the ways that it is manifested in people, in humanity, is some of us don't know that it's supposed to be past tense. Some of us think that uh, it's okay if I, I now, because of God's with me, because God loves me. Some of us don't know that those things are no longer a part of our story. And that it's okay to lay those things down, that we are not supposed to be driven by the lustful desires of our flesh. Some of us forgot that. This is not the shame. This is just a reality. Some of us forgot that when we came to Christ, we left those things aside. Some of us, some of us specializing in proving that grace works. Some of us, we, we like to make sure that it works, that, that, that God's always going to be here. We press those buttons, and we just like to do so. I'm not trying to shame you. It's just a reality. But there's a second story. I think uh, there's some of us who are in that lane, but there's some of us in another lane. Some of us are in the lane where maybe we are not giving over to our sinful desires, but we have given ourselves over, listen to this, to the product of sin. Now, here's what I did not say. I did not say that we have given ourselves to the product of our sin. No, we've given ourselves to the product of sin. Basically this, our world is broken. Things transpire. There's hurt. There's pain. There's hopelessness. There's a lot of things that takes place in our world. And some of us have decided that since the world is broken, since things don't work out the way that I planned for them to, I am just going to make my bed on my ash heap of life, and I'm going to lie in wait depressed and just await the death angel. And the things will not change for me. Life will not get any better. This is just my plot and lot in life, and it's never going to get any better. So I might as well just make my bed and lie in it. Some of us say, listen, I'm just going to wild out <laughs> because grace covers me. But some of us say, I'm just going to pull the cover over my head. And since... Since our world is broken, since my relationship is crazy, since my children are acting the way. Some of us just say, this is just, this, is, this must be my story. And neither one of them are worse or greater than the other. Because we've been delivered from sin, we are no longer subject to it, but also Christ is still on the throne. 
And although life may not look the way that you hoped that it would at all times, what we ought not do is just, that is just as guilty as non-believing. If you sit and you say, this is my expectation, that the world is hopeless, my existence is hopeless, things won't change. If we live there, we are living unfaithfully towards God. Are right, y'all looking at me like I'm not telling the truth? I promise you I got scripture to back it up. How about this? How about we go just one chapter before this one? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted. When he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I don't have a whole lot of time to unpack all that, but let me tell you what Paul is simply saying there. He's letting us know that for those of us who are new creations in Christ, there is a hope for us that is more gratifying than anything on this planet that you can give yourself over to. All of this is found in no one else but Christ Jesus and in Jesus alone. Paul also shares that this, that he that Jesus has been raised from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And this part is especially important for all of us, especially for the two categories that I just mentioned. He says, listen, he is seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, and God placed everything under his feet. Know that there's some symbolism there. When he's seated on the right hand side of the Father, that means that he's in a position of authority and power. That's what he says right there in Ephesians 1. Also, you'll find Paul saying in Romans 8, he said that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the position of authority and a power. Here's what I want you to know about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's very humble. He's got all power in his hands, but he was humble enough to come to the planet and to walk like humanity when he did not have to. He has all power and authority. He's also humble. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's not there because he wants to lord over you, even though he is lord over you. He's there because he wants to be lord for you. He's lord over you, but he wants to be lord for you, which means this. For those of us who give ourselves, who test grace, who want to just live any way that we want to live, the Lord, the Lord who is seated at the right hand of the Father tells you, you no longer have to be subject to your sin because I have overcome them. Every sin, every pain, every struggle is under my feet. For those of us, for those of us in the second category, who have given ourselves over to the struggle, the pain that comes from the product of sin, Jesus says, I see your tears. I I feel your pain. I know your struggle. I feel your heartbreak. I know your pain. I want you to know that everything that you think is over you, that overwhelms you, is still under my feet. He is Lord of you, but he's also Lord for you. I love it because in Romans 8 and 24, Paul says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and this is what he's doing. He's, he's working on your behalf. 
It says in the biblical terms, he's making intercession for you. That, that, that means that this, it's, it's more than just prayer. It is he is looking intensely at your situation. And since he's seated at the right hand of the Father, as he's looking at what's going on with you, here's what the story looks like. This is how I imagined it in my mind. Uh, look, 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 look at my baby. My baby's struggling. God, take care of my baby. Place, place a hedge of protection around them. Lord, uh, they got a lot of things going on. Make sure that they don't let it kill them. Lord, here's what's going on in my child's life. Like, look out for them. He's seated next to the Father, and the entire time that he is there, he's thinking about you. Some of us, some of us don't know that Jesus is thinking about you. Some of us think that he's forgotten. Some of us don't know that he remembers. Some of us don't know that he is intently, intensely looking at every fabric of your story. And he refuses to let it fall apart. I, I, know, I know you think. I know you think based upon how things are working out that God has forgotten. But trust me, Jesus plays chess, not checkers. You, you think that it's about just jumping over the situation. No, Jesus is making sure that all things work together for your good. And so since he's doing that, he's orchestrated the entire board rather than just worried about one situation. This is chestnut checkers. He sees your pain. He sees your story. He knows your move, the enemy's move, your friends move, your family move. He knows all of those things, and he is working it out especially for you. I love this. I love this. Um, because it makes sense then, if this is, this is what Jesus is, if, he, if he's this great, great God, this great Savior who, who orchestrates things, who works things on our behalf, who is Lord of us but also Lord for us, then when it comes to the story of humanity, that when we are dead in our transgressions and sins, when we, when we try grace, when we are working and trying to figure this thing out, the question that I had, perhaps you do as well, is why, if he's this great, would he do it for me? Maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe you don't reflect that way. I do because I'm well aware that when Ephesians is talking about death, transgression, sin, man, I might as well go ahead and put my name in there. Like, you know, it might say, as for Jamel, I know that he's talking specifically about me. I always ask myself, Lord, I know me. I barely like me. Why do you, why do you like me? I know that I don't deserve it, but you do instead. Why, what's going on with me? And then verse 4 speaks to that. Because of his great love for us. Not because of anything that we've done or anything that we have not done. Here's the thing. God does not love you in spite of you. God loves you because he is love. And your story has very little to do with God's love. God loves because that's just what he does. So when you think about words, because words, words are important, right? When, when Paul says, because of his great love, please understand whenever Paul is talking about the attributes of God, the one thing that he's not doing is looking at anything in humanity or any words before he talks about God. What Paul does is look as best as he can at everything that makes up God, his attributes. And when he looks at God, he does not say, okay, listen, the word great really describes God, and I'm going to attach great to God. No, Paul looks at God and said, wow, that's great. 
And anything else that does not measure up to that isn't worthy to be called great. God is great. That's what he talks about. And so he says when he looks at great, but also when he looks at love, that's where agape comes from. When I look at holistic love, when I look at love, I don't look at how humanity loves. No, that's called phileo. I don't look at erotic love. No, no, that's not the type of love. He says when I look at God and his story and the fact that he came and he died for us, I know that what greatness looks like is God, and I know that what love looks like is God. So because of his great love, not because of anything that I've witnessed about humanity, but based upon my own personal story and experience about what God can do and what God is, I know that God has a great love for each and every one of us. I, um, some of you heard me say before over the, the last couple of years, I've been, um, I've been trying to teach my daughter the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And uh, on our way to school every day, we, we, we answer questions, call and respond. I'm trying to teach her about God theologically. And uh, this year, we're on question number four, and it simply asks the question, what is God? I asked her that, and she replied. She says, God is a spirit. He's infinite, uh, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And I share with her that those attributes that we have attached to God, they flow from his love. Whatever you experience from God, you experience it because it comes from his love. God has been good. That's because God is love. God has saved you. That's because God is love. God is keeping you. That's because God is love. God has not let you die. God, that's because God is is love. And because he is love, everything that you experience in humanity is because his love is covering you at all times. All times. Uh, the great, great, great 19th century uh, preacher, C.S. Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon, rather, he talks about um, when he and a friend was walking through the countryside. And as they were walking, they noticed a, a weather vane that was spinning. And, and Charles looked at it and he says, I, I don't like that because uh, it says God's love. And it's, it's spinning on the vane as though God's love comes and goes. He says, I, I really don't think that represents God. When his friend replies, I actually think that it completely represents God. He says, because as it's spinning, what it lets me know that no matter where the wind blows, no matter what's happening in life, God's love is always present. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon said, well, you know what? You got a good point. I bring it up to let you know that isn't it good to know that no matter what your story is, that his love is still present? That it's still coming around, that he doesn't look at you and he doesn't say, well, listen, you know what, because of these things, I might love you today. Or because of these things, I might let my love miss you. What his friends let him know is that no matter what's taking place in your life, God's love always comes around. You can always find his love present in your story. It never leaves. It never forsakes. It never forgets. It never changes. It is always present because... Of God's love. Because of his love. Because of his love, he knows your story and he doesn't change. Because of his love, he sent his son to be a perfect sacrifice for you and I. Because of his love, when friends turn their backs on you, he's always present. Because of his love, when family abandoned you, he's always present. Because of his love, his love is what keeps us. And sometimes in life, sometimes when, when life isn't working out the way that we hope that it should... Rather than you looking for admonition, rather than you looking for affirmation from friends and family and social media, I think sometimes we just need to read this story and to see that when we were at our worst, 
He saw us and chose to love us, not in spite of us, but just because of what he does. Because he is love. I've said this a lot, so let me say it real plainly to you. If you have not heard it in a long time, I'll tell you this. I, I, I love you. I love every one of you. But you know what's greater than that? Man, God loves you. I love you, Heather. Bye. God, 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 God loves you. Love that is infinite and eternal. Love that is unchangeable, immutable. Love that is forgiving. Love that is compassionate. Love that never condemns. That love is applied to your life every day when you wake up. And no matter what people say to you, no matter how many people turn their backs on you, that love never changes. And what the enemy likes to do is get us in a position where he tries to trick us into thinking that God's love missed us and it never misses us. No matter how low you get, God's love is still there. No matter how high you ascend, his love is still there. That's what David said. He says, listen, no, man, if I ascend into heaven, behold, you are there. Even if I make my bed in hell, you are still there. His love is always present with you. God's love is present inside of your life. And I get joy about that because, as the old folks said, I know the wretch that I am. thought about this um, old pastor named Jay Sparks. And he tells this really cool, you know I love my corny preacher stories. He tells this really cool story about creation. And I love it. He says this. He says, um, when he looked at humanity and God was about to create man, he says um, that he took into counsel the angels that stood about his throne, and create him not, said the angel of justice. For if you do, he will commit all kinds of wickedness against his fellow men. He will be hard and cruel and dishonest and righteous. Create him not, said the angel of truth, for he will be false and deceitful to his brother and even to you. Create him not, said the angel of holiness, for he will follow that which is impure in his sight and dishonor you to your face. Well, then step forth the angel of mercy, better known as God's best beloved, and said, Create him, O heavenly Father. For when he sins and turns from the path of right and truth and holiness, I will take him tenderly by the hand and speak loving words to him and lead him back to you. And God listened to the angel of love, the angel of mercy. And he fashioned us knowing our story was going to be what it is. God knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. And he said, you are deserving to have life. I wanted you to be here. And if you were not, I would have listened to justice. I would have listened to truth. And I would have listened to all those naysayers. But I believe in love. And because I believe in love, I looked at my child, all of your flaws, all of your impurities, and I said, you are worthy to spend the remainder of eternity with me. I'll create you because I love you, and you are mine. You are mine. And it's more than a theory, right? Because this story of his love that has come to us is the reason why we gather. It's not just a theory. I love the way he packaged it, but it's actually a truth because he saw where we were, and rather than letting us go, he put together a foolproof plan to make sure that you and I had life. You remember the story? Man was without hope. It seemed like hell was going to be our home, and rather than allowing us to be condemned to our own sin, one day... 
and a little poor town, God sent his son Jesus through a virgin by the name of Mary. And on one day, that virgin gave birth to a son. And that son came to the planet and he walked the earth sinless so that he could be a perfect lamb for you and I. And the Bible tells us then that on one day, when all was done, after he had walked for 30 plus years, that they put together a false court on his behalf because they wanted to convict him for things that he did not ever do. And then the Bible tells us a little bit more that on one given day, one chosen day, they beat him senseless. They gave him 39 lashes upon his back. They beat him. They spit on him. They mocked him in a mock in a cruel court. And they led him down this road up to this hill that they call the skull of Golgotha. And upon that hill, Jesus hanged after he was nailed to a cross, hanged and bled and died for you and I. But that's not the end of the story. Because some people would like to think that the end of the story was the fact that Jesus died. But if you just let it be the fact that Jesus died, you're not telling the whole story because victory was coming to you and I. What I'll tell you is this. Not only did he bleed and die, but the Bible tells us that after three days, Jesus rose up from the grave with all power in his hands. And right now, today, you and I have life because there is life in Jesus Christ. Because he got up when the world thought he was going to be down. He got up when we were down to our lowest. And we can shout today, glory be to God, to the highest. We've got life because Jesus got up. I just wanted to let you know today before I take my seat that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much he sees your story. He loves you so much he's talking to his father for you. He loves you so much he'll never release you from his hands. And he's here for you whenever you need him. I've got to go. we got to take our seats. But just know this. Nothing can separate you from God. Nothing high. Nothing low. Nothing wide. Nothing deep. Absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.